0: Today marks Fantastical Truth episode 200, which gives us a great occasion to consider not just how we can find the best Christian-made fantasy, but why we must explore fantastical stories for God's glory. Speculative fiction like no other genre reflects the creativity of God.
1: If you look at the scriptures, you're going to have to see that God uses imagination more than rational discourse. We are supposed to be image bearers for a vastly creative God. Reading fantastical fiction opened a portal in my imagination for a place other than just a materialistic world. I experienced the gospel story with the mind of someone who loved adventure
0: and loved the idea of light conquering darkness. We're wired for stories that reflect how we see the world in ways that are true
1: story is either pointing to Christ or it's pointing to our need
0: for Christ. Episode 200 of Fantastical Truth, this is It, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. And I'm me, Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent and maybe more stuff coming this year or in the years to come. Stay tuned to find out a little bit more about these surprises that we hope to announce as soon as we're able to.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell. And the Bible says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So why should we love to explore fantastical stories for God's glory? That's our episode today.
0: It took a little while to get a bead on that as our mission statement at lorehaven.com. But anyone who goes to that page, uh, sign up for free and join the Lorehaven Guild. will see that uh, somewhere in our masthead. Lorehaven, explore fantastical stories for God's glory. And for episode 200, it makes sense to go to our roots and parse out that phrase. What do we mean by each of those words? Why is that life changing to the Christian reader who's also a fan of these kinds of stories? And also, as I mentioned uh, at the end of this show, uh, I really wish I could say more about what we have coming up, Uh, not just from uh, Lorehaven under that name, uh, but from our individual creators. Got some stuff uh, brewing, some stuff uh, bubbling on the stove, but uh, we'll say as much as we can uh, at the end of this
1: episode. Yeah, so this is going to be a jam-packed episode. We're going to revisit some things that we have talked about before, but might be new to you, our listener. It might be familiar, uh, which hopefully will make you cheer and say, "Yes, this is why I'm a reader. This is why I love these types of books." And uh, we're going to just explore the the purpose of fiction and why we, as Lorehaven, are trying to find the best books. Why do we think it's important? And it's something that we dedicate every week to talking about.
0: And faithful listeners will note that we've already made an upgrade to the show format. Uh, Following another one earlier, I now mentioned things like the subscribe to Lorehaven pitch at the top of the show. And oddly enough, Zach, that brings more people into the Guild, which is our exclusive Discord server, where we host monthly book quests through the best Christian-made fantastical novels that we can find. You can get in by subscribing free at lorehaven.com, and then we send you the exclusive invitation You also get great content, like an article we published last week, first roundtable article we've had in a while called, What If I Find Sexual Identity Notions in My Child's New Book? Lots of parents want to know the best method of discerning these kinds of things. Should I throw away the book? Should I burn it in an oil drum in the backyard? You know, fundies in the 1980s style. What should I do about this? So we asked some of our Lorehaven team about that. It's free to get all those articles, uh, but you can only get the notifications by subscribing free at lorehaven.com. You also learn about amazing sponsors like our next one here. Oasis Family Media is inviting us to check out a new audio, dramatic audio podcast called 1232. Sometimes it takes getting out of your comfort zone for God to speak to you. In the case of twins, Rona and Flint Thatcher, it takes going back in time for God to get a word in edgewise. When the experimental research of a physicist goes awry, his estranged twin children follow him to medieval Wales, where a shattered kingdom forces them to confront their broken relationship. Again, Oasis Audio wants to introduce you to an epic and riveting audio drama, 1232, a time-travel medieval fantasy adventure for all ages. 1232 is written by Callie Sue and Cheyenne Bell, produced by Rumble Stump Entertainment, with new episodes out every Wednesday. Travel with Rona and Flint to medieval Wales in the year 1232 AD, where they come face-to-face with a brutal world filled with superstitions and legends. Will they find the strength to survive a past that has been tainted by the future? Look for 1232 on all streaming platforms, where podcasts and audiobooks are available. To find out where to listen, visit audio-epic.com. That is audio-epic.com. All links and uh, podcast art in the show notes for this episode, 200 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast. few notes. Uh, this is uh, kind of uh, this episode here is kind of part of our series about uh, fiction's chief end. And I won't belabor all of those earlier episodes that Zach and I have done, uh, but there's quite a library. If by chance you're listening to this episode and you think, well, why didn't they say more about fantasy or sci fi or horror? Uh, or why didn't they talk more about uh, fiction and why Christians need fiction, not just could use fiction on occasion? And what's our one job in reading stories? Aren't they just meant for evangelism and edification? We have talked all about that, and you will find more links about that in our show notes. However, Zach and I have assembled a feast uh, with the main course being that Lorehaven mission statement as a uh, springboard for discussion. So I'm going to proceed immediately to chapter one, uh, taking that phrase, Lorehaven helps Christian fans. That is from our mission statement from the about page at lorehaven.com. Lorehaven helps Christian fans explore fantastical stories for Christ's glory, fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. There's a bit of an expansion there on our motto, uh, Lorehaven, explore fantastical stories for God's glory. Uh, kind of some confusion these days about who Christ is. Is he just a really nice guy who taught us to love our neighbors, or is he actually God? Well, he might be both, but we know for sure that he is God. And that should not be as confusing as that phrase, love our neighbors, by the way. Uh, If you are uh, wondering about that goal of stories, we're going to talk about that in our next episode, 201, as the plan goes. But again, Lorehaven helps Christian fans explore fantastical stories for Christ's glory, which includes fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. That is what we do, and that's what we've been doing since Lorehaven launched under that name in spring 2018. We started with a print magazine, which I think lasted about nine issues until the COVID lockdowns uh, uh, made us shift focus there uh really the podcast here this one fantastical truth has become the flagship of what lorehaven does bunch of us at the the christian creative side including myself had been working on another website called speculative faith for many years before that uh, but it it seemed really a good time uh to kind of uh, coalesce our efforts into something a little bit more organized a bit of a name uh, a name addition there and the two websites ran that uh, concurrently for a while but i think lorehaven really enables us to focus exclusively on christian fans it's difficult sometimes to describe that. Okay, what is Lorehaven? Is it a business? No, we're not in it for the profit. Oh, you're a nonprofit. Well, we're not even that official either. I would say that Lorehaven is just an outreach. It's not even like the ministries that teach, you know, very important things like Bible studies or devotionals or church work, uh, how to exegete the Scripture. Uh, we're also not focused on uh, Christians engaging the popular culture. Zach, one of these days, I want to start the podcast and say, hey. It's just um, me and my buddy, Zach, he's my bro. And we're just two guys who want to talk about movies. You know, <laughs> I, how many podcasts are there like this? You know, no diss on uh, those chaps, but it is just not our goal just to engage the popular culture. Uh, we do that on occasion, but it's a, it's a side quest for us, uh, nor are we an evangelistic enterprise. I would say that we are an outreach to help equip those who are already Christians lorehaven helps christian fans that is our audience Uh, so we are meant for christians who already like these kinds of stories that we'll describe in a moment or who want to maybe you have a loved one who likes these stories or you think there's something about them uh, not just the whole lewis and tolkien idea and uh, you would like to find a resource to find the best kinds of stories so this may be the shortest section but that is what lorehaven does and that's what we'd like you to help us do faithful listener
1: yeah, so I want to share a couple things here. Just going again, going back to some of our roots. Episode two, we said what is a Christian story. So our mission statement is about fantastical stories that written by Christians. So what does that mean? What what is a Christian story? And we explored that you know in detail for an hour on episode two. If you want to go all the way back, and I want to revisit a couple things I said there, Stephen, and maybe just tighten up my argument a little bit, which is that a Christian story can have three varieties. It can be a story about Christianity. It can be a story with Christians. Or it can be a story by a Christian. So obviously all three stories are by a Christian. But what is a Christian story? Well, it's a story written by a Christian. That's kind of our easiest way of answering that. And that can cover a lot of things. So that's kind of the outer circle. So let me start on the outside and kind of move in. Uh, A story that's written by a Christian, it might be for a wide audience. It might be For a specific audience, it might have some spiritual things, it might not, it might have some metaphors, it might just have some kind of basic ideas of the Christian faith. It might just have a framing that is compatible with biblical faith. But to uh, quote Steve Lobby from our episode 129, If Jesus shows up in your fantasy novel, it's a bad book. (laughs) And that's because he said, if you're trying to write a theological track and call it fiction, it's going to be a horrible story. So I want to start with that, even while talking about sort of this outer circle of what's a Christian story. A, A Christian story is not a theological track. Now, I say that, and my day job very much involves giving out theological tracks and walking through the four spiritual laws. I'm a big believer in that, I'm a big believer in personal evangelism. Uh, fantastical stories are simply a different category than personal evangelism through a gospel track. It's imagination versus expositional truth, which I'm going to say more about in a minute. But that outer circle, that's a story written by a Christian that you could have a variety of things for a variety of audiences, but it's not necessarily on the shelf at Barnes and Noble under Christian fiction. Now, the second category, the the middle circle, would be a story with Christians, this could even be a story that's not written by a Christian. I was in a discussion recently about the Expanse books by James S. A. Corey. As far as I know, it's it's actually two authors written under a pen name. Uh, they're not Christians, but they have Christian characters somewhat represented positively. Uh, we we can probably all think of movies or TV shows like Firefly where there's mostly positive Christian characters. But you know, again, we're we're talking about stories written by Christians. And so these stories could have Christians in everyday settings. They could be church settings. It's probably more a, it's incidental to the story, the fact that they're Christians. But that middle circle is perhaps the one that a lot of people think about when they hear the word Christian fiction. It's a story about Christianity. So this is where the Christian faith is the point of the story, that there is something related to theology that's important to the plot. So Left Behind is the obvious example for this, that that is a story about the events of Revelation unfolding, whereas Lord of the Rings or Narnia would be in that outer circle. It's a story by a Christian. It, it's kind of about Christianity, but not directly. And, so you, I, 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 and it's more for a general audience. A lot of people who are not Christians read Lord of the Rings and Narnia. But who reads Left Behind for the most part? It's mostly Christians. That inner circle is what's interesting to me, though. You know, the the stories that have Christians featured either positively or negatively, but it's a world where Christians exist. And to me, that's what I want to see more of. I, I think in fantasy, it's a little trickier to do, especially if you're starting with an alternate world. But, you know, that's why a lot of people do portal fantasies. It's like you start on modern day Earth and a Christian goes on an adventure to Alpha Centauri, or it's a science fiction story where in the future, you know, there's Christian characters on a spaceship somewhere. I think that all three of these categories work. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I think it helps to kind of define what each of these stories is trying to do.
0: I think there's another category that I don't know if it fits very neatly onto uh, the target, which I'm trying to imagine right now because this is a podcast. But I think we have a graphic form of that somewhere. If we're not, we should. Maybe we get somebody to draw it up who's who's a talented graphic designer. We need some fan art of uh, Zach's uh, target there. (laughs) But another type of story that we see sometimes, or at least in the past, and I think it's what a lot of people think of when they dismiss way too flippantly. Uh, something like the label christian fiction like oh that's just unrealistic stuff you know it's just a bunch of tracks dressed up as a story like well not always but sometimes when they dismiss that uh, there are some examples of stories even including some fantastical stories or fantastical adjacent genres they are just trying to get the reader saved or they have a main character who's a backslider so the whole story is uh, to encourage the backslider to recommit to the faith and in other words it seems like the goal of the novel uh, is across cross purposes with the goal of a sermon. These two things have different goals, and so what we do, at Lorehaven, is we we frankly occasionally will get like a submission where someone wants to review the book, and like it's very clear, like this is not a professionally made book. It is a, it is a tract. We are now teaching to not to the choir because maybe the choir needs some good teaching. Uh, But we are proclaiming something to an imaginary audience. And we all know the types of people, bless their hearts, sometimes they're older Christians who in the past have wanted to support a Christian movie or something because they feel that this is going to help someone get saved. It probably is not any more than usual, but it's kind of pretending that it is while the movie or story itself has an opposite agenda. So part of our mission at Lorehaven, Zach, I think you're right to pull that out there, is to focus on the best Christian-made stories I mean the mission statement there says that we help Christian fans explore fantastical stories for God's glory, or Christ's glory, as we say, in the expansion there, uh, but pull out that phrase and you get the phrase, fantastical stories for God's glory. Now, two things can be meant by that. First off, the Christian, the reader, the fan who is in Christ, uh, who is being the Christ figure there, is enjoying any of these kinds of stories for the exact purpose of glorifying god and we will define that and explore that more in chapter three but you could also pull out the phrase and say that the fantastical story itself has been made for christ's glory and i want to get into the end of that later as well because many stories glorify god uh, but the glorification of god what we'll mean by that later is incidental to the purpose of the story the person didn't make that story going henceforth i shall create this in order to glorify my lord and savior jesus christ that wasn't their goal They wanted to do art or they wanted to make money or both, uh, and they did a darn good job of it, uh, but it wasn't meant to glorify God. The Christian creator, however, is almost inevitably making the story with the goal of some reflection of Christ's glory. They wanted to respond to his salvation and the good things that he's done for us and exalt him by making something new. So that's our special interest at Lorehaven is finding great stories uh, that do glorify Jesus by excellence, by truth and beauty and goodness. And that has been the goal of the author and it carries through in the story. So we try to find the best ones. We review them. Uh, We want to show a preference, a bias even for stories, as long as they're well-made from members of our spiritual family uh, in the church of Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. And that's such a key thing you said there, Stephen, you know, the reason we are not two guys sitting around watching the latest movies which again, I'm glad for those podcasts, but there are there are so many of those uh, because there these movies are popular and a lot of people know them. But we are trying to serve the the underserved Christian authors, most of which are independently published uh, or at smaller publishers or at Christian publishers that don't make as big of a dent on the market as Yet. other books or other you know types of movies and streaming dramas. So we are trying to find those hidden gems of Christian stories that, you know, because a lot of people say, well, I like this, uh, you know, I like the Martian, but man, it had too many F bombs or I like this science fiction book, but it's kind of nihilistic. That is a common response. A lot of Christian fans of fantasy and sci-fi will tell us that, well, you know, I've liked this kind of story, but is there anything else that's a little more wholesome or a little more hopeful and the interesting thing to me, Stephen, is there are even uh, non-Christian authors who are seeing the same problem that a lot of uh, science fiction in particular is uh, just very um, just doomery. <laughs> it's just uh, the world is uh, falling apart and the universe would be better without humans. Uh, it's very anti-human. And um, we want to find the stories that say, hey, this is the world God made. Humanity is a good thing that God made. Yes, there's sin. And we're going to be transparent and honest about that as well. But we want to point people to God through the story, either because the resolution of the story reflects how God interacts with the world, or the story itself leaves us wanting a savior. It it leaves us in need of that. And we realize, wow the people on Alpha Centauri or whatever, they, they didn't have a savior, but I do like, thank goodness. It can be like you said, incidental that an author makes something that glorifies God. I mean, Pharaoh glorified God, right? <laughs> but would you rather be Pharaoh or Moses in that story? I'd, I'd much rather be Moses. And so again, that, that's why we are focusing on Christian creators because while there are a lot of great stories, we want to focus on those who are trying to give God the glory, who are trying to point readers to Christ in some way, whether it is directly by engaging Christian themes or characters, or just by having a theme that that resonates with Scripture. When you look at a lot of Jesus parables, the parable of the sower, for example, that's just an agricultural story, right? Just in and of itself, there's not a obvious spiritual metaphor. Jesus had to explain it, and so that's the type of story often we are looking for where you look at the story you're like well, how is this a christian story but if you looked at a lot of jesus parables out of context you'd have the same reaction sometimes there needs to be a follow up discussion and again that's where i'm a big believer in personal evangelism <laughs> like you the person should evangelize not the book should evangelize like the book should tell a story you the person whether it's an author or a, you know you're a reader and you're you're passing a book to someone You know, you get to be the one that has that conversation with the the friend, the neighbor, the coworker, the family member. You get to be the messenger, but let the book be the story that you enjoy together.
0: 100% agreed. And we will uh, flesh out a lot of those ideas in chapter two on the other side of sponsor two which is author David Liberto. Uh, by the way, that's how we find our sponsors. Uh, we're not going to get you know mattress ads or cryptocurrency or anything like that on this show. Uh, the sponsors are going to be Christian authors uh, with a fascinating story to provide. And similar uh, advertisers are able to help sponsor the show. And we are glad to get the word out about their story. Like this one from David Liberto, Return of the Lost Ones in which two young men, two legendary families, one infamous, one noble, their fateful choices converge in a tale of adventure and peril in Return of the Lost Ones. As Pole, born to a line of blessed heroes, strives to reclaim his family's honor, Stefan faces a crossroads that could lead to ruin or redemption. Together they must unite to save a village from the grip of darkness and creatures of myth. Will they rise to the challenge or be consumed by the legacies that haunt them? Discover their stories in the thrilling first book where honor, bravery, and legends collide. Begin your journey with Paul and Stefan, where every decision shapes destiny. That is Return of the Lost Ones, a fantasy novel from David Liberto. Learn more, see the cover at our show notes for episode 200 or at lorehaven.com slash podcast. Chapter two, explore fantastical stories. Now that's a phrase that is in our uh, slogan there at the masthead. Uh, It's also in our purpose statement. We've already crossed over into uh, exploring that a little bit. What do we mean by explore? Zach mentioned earlier uh, some of the issues that we see in science fiction, for example, where some sort of inhuman ideas are sneaking in. Interesting he mentions that because I would say that in the cousin genre across the aisle fantasy, the stereotype about some of those stories is the opposite of nihilism. It's uh, so much affirmation of humanity uh, that you actually uh, affirm human sin you know we focus on ourselves so much that we lose sight of the world beyond uh, all of those stories all those fantasy creatures are now all about us rather than about a world a wider world that we're stepping into that makes us feel small and therefore generates this feeling of epic you know if if you are the epic then there is no epic and so those ideas are around there uh, in the books that we find and a lot of christian fans are looking for good books on the shelves and Often that's what they're finding instead, but they're seeking fantastical stories. They want to explore them already, or they want to find great books for their kids. Uh, but we've noticed, uh, especially with the collapse of the Christian bookstore, and you know, one can say things about the types of fantastical stories that you used to find at the physical Christian bookstores, people are going to secular bookstores, or their public libraries, or their relatives aren't giving them or their kids books. And I see their posts all the time on social media, Zach, they're saying, hey, what about this book? What about that book? What about this book? and while i agree with engaging the popular culture so much i helped write a book about it myself i do wonder why christian fans are seeming to only return to secular markets while expecting moral values over and over again and then people are shocked to find out well this look book looked really uh, whimsical and really magical uh, and then i got to uh, i got to page you know 394 uh, and suddenly oh what is this sexual identity notion doing there And I want to go. Why are you surprised? You know, it's almost like I forget which epistle says, like, "Brothers, don't be surprised when you get persecuted, as if something weird is happening to you." Like, yes, it's it's outrageous, it's unjust, and all that. But at the same time, like, it's kind of expected. And if they say that actual persecution is expected, then how much more is it expected to run into an idea that's opposed to God's word? Uh, This shouldn't be a great shock. Uh, Maybe don't be so shocked all the time. Maybe we need a little bit of a thicker skin, but at the same time, okay, if you are getting annoyed by this, that makes sense. It means you got to work, work, work all the time. And a story should be about rest. Like, yes, you need to work six days out of every week and the seventh you shall rest. You know, Stories are meant to be a kind of Sabbath. And so why should you have to work on the Sabbath all the time? Well, maybe you should pay more attention to the great Christian made stories that are out there rather than maybe in your behavior, pretending that they don't exist. Uh, we actually talked about this in that recent article about the sexual identity notions. Like, yes, you can talk with your kids about it. If it's age appropriate, if they're, you know, at the appropriate age, uh, you can put away the book, you can be aware of some of the corporate agendas and a whole lot of millions of dollars out there backing these new, strange new religions. Uh, but then also like, Look for better books. Look for the Christian made books that are excellently reviewed and that are made with truth, beauty, and goodness. And so that, as we said, is implicit in our phrase, you know, fantastical stories for God's glory. It's not just us finding the stories and then enjoying them for the glory of God, but stories that are made for that goal. Secular stories, I think, often glorify God. Uh, Zach and I are geeking out about the uh, Dune Part Two that's coming out uh, finally. Uh, right on my birthday, by the way, this year in the United States. Uh, I would say that a lot of the artistry and epicness of the Dune movies and the original book, at least, uh, can give glory to God. But we have to be careful with that phrasing. Did the author mean to give glory to God? Doesn't look like it. Did the director mean to give glory to God? I don't know. Uh, Is there a best key grip somewhere who's like, I am going to put this prop together, uh, the little thing that goes, thump, 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 and summons the uh, sandworm. Like Maybe that guy meant to give glory to God. Uh, If so, wonderful. But the story itself, I think, gives glory to God only incidentally. I think uh, Zach's mention of Pharaoh is really good earlier because there's a phrase I've noticed in rereading the Bible in one year in the book of Exodus. When God says that he will get glory over Pharaoh in at least some translations, God gets the glory by what pharaoh is doing but what does pharaoh do he hardens his heart he refuses to let the people go he lies he's stubborn uh he hates god he clings to his false religions instead Uh, god gets glory over pharaoh but you can't say that pharaoh gives glory to god because this is something that god is taking one way or another Uh, it's just a matter whether or not uh, you are going to be a willing participant well we're looking for the authors the christian creators who are willing participants in God getting glory. We're looking for the stories that are made where the author sat down and said, this is an act of worship. I want to make a good story, a great fantastical story that is going to give glory through the story to God. That's the goal of the author. And therefore that's the kind of stories that we want to find and promote at Lorehaven.
1: Right. I think where all of this starts is what is man? (laughs) What is the meaning of humanity? What was man designed to do? Was there even a design? Is there even a purpose? If you don't start with a Christian worldview, it's very hard to answer those questions. Now, a lot of people are trying. I mean, there are some secular writers that are trying to write you know, meaningful fiction where there is some kind of discovered purpose of humanity that's revealed through the journey of a character. But I, I think that's extremely hard to backfill <laughs> meaning where you have a universe that's not based on any meaning. You know, in, in the Bible, we see that God created the world. Now We're not going to go into the six days versus six billion years, whatever.
0: It was six days, by the way.
1: <laughs> I'll just drop uh, that there and walk away. <laughs> I'm mostly just not interested in the debate. But uh, yes, I take the Bible word for word, all right? And I, I believe that God created literal Adam and Eve. And he created humanity for a reason. And he gives them a command at the beginning, be fruitful and multiply uh, and have dominion over the whole earth and the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, beasts of the land. You know, He wanted Adam and Eve and he wants humanity to reign on the earth. Now, Obviously, there are good and bad ways of doing that. They're exploitative. There are selfish and, and sinful ways that people use the earth. Uh, there's harmful ways that we rule over other people. But humanity having a footprint is not a bad thing, you know. There's a lot of storytelling right now, Stephen. That's like you need to reduce your footprint. Humanity should. There's too many people. Humanity itself is too numerous. We should not be fruitful and multiply. We should. Well, that's a secular Divide and narrative. subtract. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's a parody of the original cultural mandate, which is what right. God commanded Adam and Eve in Genesis one twenty-eight. Right.
1: And I, I think part of this is if you start with the idea that there's only the material world, you're not going to end with a good purpose for humanity. And I like how Mike Duran said that when he first started reading fiction, it, it opened his eyes to other possibilities. This is from episode 36. Mike said, uh, part of what fantastical fiction does is it opens our eyes to possibilities, realities, imaginations, that are very much biblical, and it's something it takes you to a place beyond a materialistic world. Um, And Kathy Tires in episode eleven said that you know speculative fiction can do things that it's hard for other genres to do, and it and it gives you a little bit of emotional distance from the exact situations we find ourselves in in culture. Uh, You know, this is what Star Trek has always done so well: is it is it it transforms things that we're experiencing in the real world. And puts it in a fantastical world, and you know, to its credit, a lot of times Star Trek would bring in that longing for something beyond just the physical universe. Now, again, it was kind of whimsical sometimes with Q, uh, it, or it was just random with other things that you'd find, or you'd find these alternate universes, or the or the mirror universe. There was not really; it was kind of chaotic, is what I'm trying to say. So there wasn't a coherent you know, theology holding it all together as as Steve Lobby has said. And I I think that's where the Christian creator has an advantage that, that we have a ordered world. We, we do not believe in a chaotic disordered universe. God is a God of order. And so again, that, that is why we are trying to highlight and review and, and critique and discuss and promote Christian creators of these stories. There's another key point there,
0: and it's uh, in our
1: title for this
0: episode, Why Should We Love to Explore Fantastical Stories for God's Glory? Zach, I think you rightly put that word should in there, and that goes back to the cultural mandate from which you quoted earlier in Genesis chapter 1. This is not optional for Christians. Now, it's optional whether or not you enjoy fantastical stories. Maybe you're into histories and biographies or nonfiction or some other genre of fiction, and that's perfectly fine. But we're saying that this creative uh, pursuit that we have as Christians is non-optional. It is, in fact, part of that cultural mandate. What is a mandate? It is a command. God commands Adam and Eve. He creates them. He puts them in the garden. He blesses them. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. That is an imperative. There's no option there. Uh, They can't decide to go off and find themselves and, you know, and instead have a nice uh, work life and then go home and do nothing, at least for Adam and Eve originally before sin interferes. He says, be fruitful, multiply, go out, have kids, have babies, reproduce, do something using my stuff. God is saying to Adam and Eve, that is what the Christian creators are doing, but that's also what the Christian fan is doing. They are in a sense, copying God's creative act by enjoying these kinds of stories. And the fact that these stories are fantastical, the ones that we are exploring, reflects uh, God's world, I think, most accurately. Uh, our world, our real world, is fantastical. There are fantastic beasts that God has made, some of which we have only discovered only recently, and I think more that we have yet to discover, even if not in this version of the earth, but you know, in the new heavens and new earth, there are beasts who are extinct that I believe that will come back. Dragons, for example, I'm almost certain that dragons were real at some point, uh, that they are now extinct. You know, some power that some dinosaur may have had. You know, Leviathan is described as a present day creature in Job 41. Leviathan is basically Godzilla, by the way. Uh, these beasts, I think, were real. And the only reason why we think they're fantastical is because we don't see them very often. Well, they're going to come back, but in the meantime, we can enjoy them in stories. Science fiction is often real. Uh, we literally just had, not too long ago, uh, this news that people are putting chips in other people's brains. Well, that sounds like the worst kind of science fiction there, but there's so many technologies now that we have for real that were predicted or anticipated by uh, the best kinds of science fiction. So what's real and isn't real is uh, generally only a matter of time. Now, are there some other things that could never be real? Yeah. And then we refer to those under you know more of the traditional fantasy type genre. And there's some stuff in science fiction that I think uh, cannot ever happen in a Christian worldview. Uh, But often these stories are capturing realities, even with fantastical imagery and plots and, you know, villains and all of this uh, that reflect reality in ways uh, that other types of fiction simply cannot do. Uh, That's why we think that we should explore these stories, because there's some callings that Christians have in the real world that can only be reflected in fantastical stories. And a quick shout out to one of my favorites too, Dracula. That's a traditional horror story uh, without which we cannot really wrap our imaginations around some of the real life perversions that we see around us. We've got to have stories like this that also engage the darkness along with the whimsy and the wonder that other genres capture so well.
1: I want to actually give sort of a contrary view about The chips and brains thing or, or you know, technological uh, science fiction. So I think it could be very dystopian. I mean, I like to joke about this all the time that, like, we're living in the episode of the Borg or the prologue. to how the Borg or, you know, the Matrix is going to take over the world or the Terminator is going to get us. Or the
0: Cybermen for you, Doctor Who fans.
1: Yeah, right. So I, I think we've got a lot of good stories about that, which show the excesses of technology when technology becomes an idol. And certainly the Bible warns us about that. But you know, what I like to think about is that science and technology and this was all God's idea, going back to that cultural mandate, that we're supposed to rule over the earth. We aren't supposed to let the earth just rule over us and be at its whims. Like I I was just thinking yesterday, like being able to predict the weather. You know, I knew that this morning the temperature was going to drop about 40 degrees. And so I was able to dress appropriately and even Going to bed last night, preparing for that, preparing my kids for that because this big cold front just came in town. You know, that's an incredible tool that we have. That understanding is from God. You know, all of the, um, many of the the foundational scientists were all believers. Either they were theists or just straight up Christians because they believe that by studying science, we were studying God's mind because he's a God of order. And so the, the chip and brain thing is, is an interesting thing, right? Because is that an excess of science and technology where we are trying to become like God? Or could it be a thing where scientists are just trying to heal people in the same way that Jesus healed a paralytic? These, the Neuralink thing or, or similar things, are, it's sort of like a neurological prosthesis where it's, it's going to help someone be able to talk or, or, uh, or walk. You know, or pilot maybe, a
0: mech suit, a giant yeah, mech suit to which, defeat the kaiju. Which would be kaiju. awesome. Right. Yeah, which I, I, I'm all uh, for all that. All these applications.
1: Yeah, and so it's like, there's, the thing is, it's like there's a mix of good and bad with all these technologies, you know? And, and that's where I, I think what a lot of secular sci-fi does is it either glorifies the technology or it leaves us horrified by technology. And I think the Christian worldview is it's, it's both at once. that technology is a glorious thing God gives us, that, that man can use in horrible and horrific ways, but there is still a good purpose to all of it.
0: Well, that's why the cultural mandate is absolutely vital for the Christian fan to understand, because you have there a calling, an origin of so many vocations that Christians are given. Uh, families, marriage, reproduction, romance, it's all right there. Uh, the best kind of uh, colonization, uh, colonization is a bad word, but in this case, there's nobody else out there in the world and there's no sin to exploit anybody. So the original cultural mandate is the best kind of stewardship. Stewardship is probably the better word to use there. Uh, implicit in that calling is the idea of science and research and discovery and classification. Uh, the first scientific act that Adam did was was a zoology. He's classifying the animals even before uh, Eve shows up so all of that is uh, maybe not even implicit there it is explicit there and so then you also have maybe implicit there the idea of other cultural acts like stories uh, I loved getting into all of this uh, while we were writing the pop culture parents like just defending the idea that popular culture is the intersection of science and technology which helps you to distribute these things over delivery devices like TVs and smartphones And also storytelling, which is something that humans have always done. It's only been recently that you get kind of these things uh, intersecting within the last uh, century or so, uh, so that these stories can go out across the invisible airwaves. So that's popular culture that's implicit there, but also the idea of making something like a book, something like a novel, a story of something that did not happen in order to better illustrate the best kinds of stories anyway, uh, things that are happening. So that's why we do include that imperative there. It's not just that we think Christians can do this for fun and education and, you know, something to distract you uh, from the real world, but it's something that Christians should do. It goes back to the cultural mandate. And if the best kinds of stories that you like happen to be science fiction and fantasy and beyond, well, that is what we are doing at Lorehaven, but not just doing for its own sake. We're doing it for the sake of, we'll just get into that in uh, chapter three, but first, however you may be mad hyped by all of this call to create great stuff for God's glory. And if so, sponsor three is for you. Realm Makers is back now at Lorehaven. We emphasize the journey of the fan, but we stay away from like trying to equip writers and all that. Why do we not like it? No, it's because other people are doing it really well. And that includes Realm Makers. Since 2013, Realm Makers has been helping writers of fantasy, science fiction, and other fantastical stories find their community, and learn their craft from an all-star faculty. Now the Christian-led organization will return to St. Louis, Missouri for its 12th annual live conference this July 18th through 20th. Public registration is open at Realmakers.com. Authors can attend in person, staying at the Sheraton Westport Chalet Hotel for the three-day event, or they can attend the event remotely on the dedicated Realmsphere social network. At Realm Makers, we've been connecting Christian creators for over a decade, said marketing director J.J. Johnson. Our annual conference provides a supportive space where authors can take their next creative steps. Realm Makers is where authors find not just inspiration, but lasting relationships that fuel their success. Get more info in our show notes for episode 200 or go to lorehavencom podcast. All right. Chapter three. What's that last phrase in our mission statement? We explore fantastical stories for God's glory. And this is pivotal. This definition is absolutely pivotal to not just the topic of this episode, but what we do at Lorehaven. In fact, I love that phrase there at the end from J.J. Johnson with Realm Makers there. Uh, He says that Realm Makers helps authors find lasting relationships that fuel their success. Zach, uh, when I write and get published the uh, great evangelical novel, I've often thought, you know, something they ask you to do once you write books, they determine that you must be an expert on this sort of thing. So they invite you to conferences and they say, spill your secrets, reveal your secrets. How did you rise from nothing to get to be a star evangelical author with Basically, one book. Uh, what What are your secrets? And so I've often thought, okay, you know, in the event I'm asked to do that sort of thing, like, am I going to talk about agents and grammar and you know all the software and all this stuff? If you go independent, and I go, maybe if I get good at that stuff. But my absolute interest here, the, the the heart of my interest, is that fuel. What drives the Christian creator? Why do we do what we do? Not just what and how we do it. And my fuel, I think, is, or should be, for God's glory. And as we saw a couple of episodes ago uh, with the chap uh, from uh, Chris Skaggs uh, from uh, Soma Games, uh, we had a discussion there about what we mean by God's glory, like in that case, gaming for God's glory. Because I think he's totally right that when people hear that phrase, they assume they know what they mean by it. And it means, oh yeah, God's glory. That's a thing that you do when you go to church. That, that, that's the thing you do when you pray. That's that thing you do when you help the poor or love your neighbor or serve your family or something like that. In other words, it's an obviously spiritual task that is meant by God's glory. It's something to do with ministry or your pastor or some kind of churchy work or charity work. Uh, Even one recent uh, ad at the big game uh, purporting to sell you Jesus got this confused. Uh, They seem to think that loving your neighbor only means one obviously spiritual thing. Well, love your neighbor can take many different forms. And we'll get into that a little bit more in our next episode. But there's this myth that Christians have, this bifurcation, an artificial wall between the spiritual work that's done for God's glory and then the normal stuff that you do Monday through Saturday that, okay, I guess that's for God's glory, but it doesn't really feel like it. So what do we mean by God's glory? This could be a whole episode by itself. And what I tend to think about that meaning, I just even before I go to scripture, where the idea is just all throughout scripture, all of scripture is about the glorification of God and how and why he gets glory for himself and why this is good for human beings. What I think of when I think of God's glory is all that's wonderful about God. The overflowing truth, beauty, and goodness that he is, that he defines, and that he therefore, because of his love, cannot help but share to human beings. And one of the best Christian leaders who writes so much about God's glory, and we'll use that for our discussion springboard here, is John Piper. Now, I don't always agree with John Piper, particularly with how he applies this to culture making. You know, He's more interested in nonfiction. And although he gets into poetry and things like that, you know, I wouldn't say that he's a big fan of fantasy other than C.S. Lewis, but he often teaches rightly about God's glory. And he wrote about that in an article we'll link to in our show notes, uh, how he defines that. He says, quote, here is an attempt at a definition. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. I am focusing on the manifestation of his character and his worth and his attributes. All of his perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen, and there are many of them. That is why I use the word manifold. Here it is in another sentence. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. End quote. That's from an article called What is God's Glory? Really succinct title there, and yet it opens things up so much. For example, when I think of the glory of God, Zach, I think the image I think of is just a shining light. And, and this is pretty common in fantastical literature, You know, even going back to uh, some of the older examples. And yet we see in scripture, God using so many incredible images to reveal his glory. Creation, for example, the epicness of creation. You go to the book of Job, uh, I mentioned earlier about Leviathan in Job 41. God reveals his glory in a Godzilla-like creature. Uh, God reveals his glory in behemoth, uh, basically a brachiosaur, a uh, one chapter earlier, uh, Job chapter 40. Uh, the horse with his laughing and his speed and his strength and power, also reveals God's glory. God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. Uh, this uncontrollable force of nature, reveals God's glory. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush, a revelation of God's glory. Moses comes down from the mountain with God's law. Oh, here's God's law that people don't like to talk about. A revelation of God's glory, his perfection, his truth, his holiness, his purity. Moses' face shines like the sun, and he has to actually veil himself for a while because people can't put up with it. That's a manifestation of God's glory. And of course, you see uh, most perfectly Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God himself, fully God and fully man. That is a revelation of God's glory. So what is God's glory? I think Piper defines it well with words here. But what does it look like that's what the bible takes you know thousands of years of history and narrative and poetry and theology and all of this stuff like god's glory is like this this is what it is and so we come along then with uh, with other stories and say well god's glory can also be revealed and not directly from god but by way of christian creators in these other ways too like these stories can give glory to god on purpose as opposed to other stories and creative expressions uh, where God will get glory over them, but not necessarily through the
1: will of the people who made those things. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Leviathan, because I think a lot of Christian readers have, you know, you said a, a bifurcation between, you know, stories and education, and it seems like very different in how can stories, you know, lead us to God's glory. And I think the bifurcation some readers have is one of aesthetics. That when they think of fiction, they say, okay, I, I can get behind the idea of storytelling, pointing us to God's glory. As long as it's got a sort of Thomas Kincaid type aesthetic, which we've talked about before in this podcast about sentimentalism.
0: It must be clean. Like, no, yeah. if haven't said clean here, you said wholesome earlier, Zach. And that's another topic we want to flesh out. Like, what do we mean by clean? And why do at least I prefer the word wholesome better? But uh, we, you know, we're not necessarily after clean fiction here, but we understand where people use that labeling.
1: Yeah. So I think there's some readers that they've come to a fantastical story and they're like, well, I, I like the idea of a hero, but I'm not so sure about this villain who's doing such villainy things. And I'm not sure about, you know, this battle against darkness because it's very, very dark. And to go back to episode 187 with Andrew Peterson, he had this great quote by saying the darkness is just an errand boy for a light. It's there only to demonstrate how strong the goodness is. That is what." Really got a hold of him as a young man is that there was this hunger for a greater and stronger light, and you know his books have kind of whimsy and but also darkness to him. And he said that the point is what Tolkien called the eucatastrophe, this sudden joyous turn coming from where the author of the story flexes his muscles, because we see that all throughout the Bible. And one of my favorite passages that illustrates this, and it answers sort of another question of well, what about stories with horror in them or monsters? In Acts 19, we see this uh, really funny event where these uh, Jewish exorcists try to get a demon out of a man in the name of Paul. (laughs) And the the demon's like, well, I I know who Paul is and I know Jesus, but who are you guys? The demon-powered man beats them up, sends them out of their naked and it says, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And then it goes on to say that a lot of people repented in response to this story that scared the daylights out of them. Because it, the interesting thing there in that story that we never find out if that demon was exercised. We, we don't know what happened to that demon possessed man. As far as we know, he died that way like we we don't know but it put fear in the right way in people of saying well well, gosh i better get rid of all of my similar types of uh sin like a lot of people were into witchcraft and so they got rid of that i'm sure other people were repenting of things and so this is the point of having a story with darkness with villains with monsters because as mike naraki said in uh, episode 113 What we want is stories that reflect how the world really is. And the world really does have darkness. The world really does have villains in it. Uh, Whether or not you think it still has monsters like dragons or or Nessie or Bigfoot, I'm not going to get into that right now, maybe on another episode. But we want to depict things how they are. We want to be truthful to the world so that the light, the goodness overcomes that. And that's also true. And that's that's how we get away from the nihilism that's so common in a lot of secular sci-fi. So this is how we see God's glory in action through a story. We see the good things God has put in the world overcoming the evil that has corrupted the good things in the world.
0: Zach, you mentioned the the bifurcation again. Uh, there's another false divide uh, that is... Uh kind of in our crosshairs at Lorhaven, not that we set out just to uh, debunk the fake news, but there's this notion that persists, I think, at the back of many Christians' heads because uh, it's all, more often caught, not taught, uh, that there's this divide between truth and imagination, the kind of the stereotypical left brain and right brain. And as we are hoping that stories will show the world realistically, in other words, show truth, what we're acknowledging there is that this is how God has revealed his word uh God's word is indeed a narrative. Now the problem there is that some people with chips on their shoulders, uh, even well-meaning Christians, will come along and they say, "Well, the Bible is not just a theological textbook, you know, it's it's just a story and the story needs to inspire us to have conversations about the story." And I think that people who do that often do not understand the point of a story. The point of the story is to have resolution. The point of the story is to get you to ask the questions and therefore to find what that means. At the end of each show, we talk about seeking and finding fantastical truth it's not just a lifelong journey where the real uh the real thing that we find is the friends and relationships we made along the way like no there is a treasure at the end and the treasure is god himself and he does define himself he has the right to do that god is real he's not just some uh, ephemeral spirituality we are on a narrative quest to seek him and he is revealed in the person and work and resurrection of jesus christ that changes our lives Changes our lives for what? Uh, More of the seeking, just relationship, just loving our neighbors. Like, no, our lives are changed for the purpose of glorifying God, which is another way of saying worshiping God. And so exploring stories, I think, is an act of worshiping God, or it ought to be. And nonfiction helps us to do that. uh, But nonfiction does not exist for its own end, uh, because we are not brains in tanks that process ideas even big theological ideas uh, like computers. God has given us a material world of beauty and goodness and dirt that gets under our fingernails and a world uh, that he himself has entered in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, even before the incarnation, God was acting narratively in the world. I was thinking about this, Zach, uh, because of all the discourse after that ad that we're not going to talk about. But people kept acting, acting as if, you know, well, let's, let's talk about uh, Jesus you know, just uh, helping us uh, love our neighbors. And, and we don't really need to talk about, uh, for example, one person would say, you don't lead people to Jesus by talking about their sin. And I go, that's strange because God himself spent thousands of years talking about people's sin with the law. Uh, It's almost like he thought that you needed a generational project to instill the idea that if you sin, something's got to die. If you sin, something's got to die, not just because people died, but because animals died. And then they are in Leviticus throwing the blood against the wall and having exact parameters for what to do with the internal organs of the ram. All of that is meant to tell a story. God is acting narratively through his commandments and this very gross, often horror imagery to tell people, if you sin, something has to die, and it's going to be you, or it's going to be something else. And then this idea gets through to his people over the generations, over the centuries, until then Jesus arrives, and God has revealed himself not just as a propositional truth, but has used all of these revelations of truth to point to the person, the God-man of Jesus Christ. Then after that, God comes, by the way, Trinitarian here, the Holy Spirit, revealing his truth about what has happened, what Jesus has done in the Bible, and yet the Holy Spirit also brings dead sinners back to life. By the way, this little reenactment of the hero's journey that the Holy Spirit is doing. So is it all about narrative? Yes. It is all about propositional truth? Also yes. But I would say the propositional truth serves the narrative just as much as the words on a page serve the story. Uh, Only an nincompoot would come along and say, well, a story is more than just ink on a page. And I'm like, yeah, duh. But how are you going to get the story objectively delivered unless it is in one way or another ink on a page? The words come to life in our imaginations, but we still need the words.
1: Yeah, and my big proposition is that fantastical stories are often the most effective way to convey memorable truth about the real world. It's through a story and your imagination and the images that comes there that something solidifies and it becomes less of this abstract concept and it's something you can get a hold of. And as you said, Stephen, God absolutely throughout scripture is warning people away from their sin. And he often does it through imagination. You know, in episode seven, we had Brian Gadawa talk about how Christ is both word and image equally so he he uses the imagination all throughout scripture there's there's more narrative in the scriptures than there is expositional abstract truth it's quite a bit more so we should at least use them equally half and half and you know i i think about some of the stories in the images in the old testament about about the issue of sin oh and even in the new testament you know let's actually let's start with that Jesus said, when he talked about hell, he said, it's a place of outer darkness. It's a place where the worm will never die. It's a place where the fire will never go out and and somehow it's also dark. And so then that gets you to really think about it. Well, how how can a place be dark and on fire at the same time? Like, what does that mean?
0: This is a fantastical place, by the way, real, but fantastical. The images he uses are terrifying and they ought to be.
1: Yeah. You look at some of the old Testament prophets when they are trying to warn Israel away from her idolatry, they use very stark and frankly, PG-13, maybe even R-rated metaphors involving donkeys, involving prostitutes. Okay, Then you get a whole story in the form of Hosea. I mean, a real story, but Hosea going out to win back his wife who's become a prostitute. I, I mean, this whole narrative is God's own story of winning back humanity to himself and redeeming humanity. And so God helps us understand these truths, the, these very abstract concepts, through these images. So it's not incompatible at all. In, in fact, it's much more memorable to think of these truths in the form of these stories. Zach, that's
0: so important a point to make, especially when folks start getting nervous about the Old Testament and they're not sure what to do about that in comparison with the uh, the ethical principles taught by Jesus, and you know. That's the kind of pragmatism that we would be opposed to at Lorehaven, because ultimately that kind of notion dispenses with fiction, or it, it uses that as just a distraction rather than an essential part of what the Christian is called to do. Uh, that patterns these narratives after the very idea that the Bible is that hero's journey, not featuring you the saint, not featuring the Christian as the hero, not featuring even the church as a hero, or the best kinds of Christians as the hero. But featuring the hero, Jesus Christ, the star of the entire narrative, God himself, the star of the entire narrative. So the ultimate self-insert, but for the best possible reason, because God is the only ultimate hero. If he is writing the story of the universe, then how could he not uh, make himself the hero? And that's part of glorifying God, too. It's kind of strange to think about and uh, it might, uh, might make some people nervous. But God is even more in the business of glorifying himself than we are. He doesn't call us to do something that he himself is not already doing. And is that selfish? No. Is it self-interested? Yes. Is it generous? Also, yes. Because God himself, as Piper has often argued, is the sole origin of truth, beauty, and goodness in the universe. If he is love, and we know he is, then how could he not give of himself and uh c.s lewis himself recurring guest star on the podcast uh got hold of this in his reflections on the psalms because he says they used to think that god was just this ultimate egomaniac commanding people to worship him until lewis got to thinking and realized wait a minute like don't we often do that when we see something great we want people to share in that experience say hey come out and see the sunrise it is epic this morning uh, come see this amazing bug I found on the sidewalk. Uh, this is just the most weirdly, ugly, adorable thing I've ever seen. You know, come join me in this experience. And why would God himself then not do that? So that's what we want to do at Lorehaven. We want to find something amazing that people have made and then say, hey, this is awesome. This gave glory to God. Uh, this helped me become a better person. This story helped make me love Jesus more. I identified with the hero in this story. Uh, similar to how I might identify with the hero, the human hero of a Bible narrative. So that's what the best kinds of stories that we find are about. Uh, They do show us ourselves, but not for the purpose of staying there. Uh, We want to see ourselves reflected in these stories so that we can pursue the greatest hero of all time, Jesus Christ. So maybe I was wrong at the top of the show when I said we're not evangelistic. We kind of are, but it's more like post evangelism. Christians don't share Jesus and then move on to the moral principles and uh, helping people and building a better society and all that while keeping Jesus in the basement where he's very important, but we don't really, you know, get him out to the top level all the time. Like, No, he is 100% the cornerstone. He is the entire structure. And so, yeah, I agree that Jesus ought not be physically appearing uh, as a character in Christian made stories. That makes things kind of awkward, but is he there nonetheless? Absolutely. He is jesus is at the back of the christian fan who's enjoying the story and if it's a story by a christian author and then jesus is also reflected in that author where do you find the christ figure in the best christian made stories it is in the people the christ figure is just another way of saying christians so even if jesus isn't a character in the story he is still at the back of the story and so Why should we love to explore fantastical stories for God's glory? Because of Jesus. I think that is the ultimate answer we could give here.
1: Well, hopefully you, our dear listener, do not have a chip on your shoulder or in your brain. Although if you're listening to this in the future, uh, maybe you do have that chip in the brain. and, And hopefully it's being used for God's glory and not turning you into the Borg. But here's our question for you. How do you glorify God? by enjoying fantastical stories. How have you experienced God's glory through a story that led you to him, where it showed you how light overcomes darkness and there is goodness, there is truth, there is beauty in this world because it's the world he created. We'd love to hear from you, so send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and reply to us there or on the show notes for this page at lorehaven.com The other way to interact with us is through our Discord server, the Lorehaven Guild. And Stephen, there was some good discussion on recent episodes in the Guild.
0: Yeah, people like talking about sports and Disney and video games, although not all at once. Uh, Three very interesting topics that we've had with a lot of great discussion in there about all those. Subscribing free at Lorehaven.com will get you the secret code to join the Guild. And then you can also join those monthly book quests. Uh, Speaking of books, I did promise a little bit of a hint of a surprise at the top of the show. So here we are. And wow, I wish I could say more about this. But A, there's at least one personal project I'm involved in that I cannot talk about, but I'm really looking forward to sharing more about that. And B, under the Lorehaven label, I just need to put together some projects that uh, we hope to announce as soon as possible. I will say that I think uh, these projects, which will be print books, Lord willing, Dio Valente will take the best of our guild quests and help put them together to spread this method of exploring fantastical stories for God's glory to more readers. So anything that Lorehaven does under that name will always be nonfiction about fiction. Uh, We've already got plenty of people who are publishing fantastical novels. We are not going to be our own fiction publisher But uh, for team members from Lorehaven who want to make some nonfiction about fiction, we want to support those. And then, of course, uh, Marion Jacobs can say more about her book uh, title To Be Determined, which is a nonfiction exploration of fictional magic from a biblical worldview. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that book. Uh, Last I heard, it was going to release in summer of 2025. That may actually be the grand finale because I'm hoping to have all of these other projects that I'm working on out on the way to that release date. So this time next year, Zach, is going to be extremely interesting uh, to find out what not only I've been doing in terms of my own fantastical story creation, uh, but also what Lorehaven is going to be able to do Uh, expanding past the website and uh, even past the uh, podcast into print resources so uh, here's a plea for faithful listeners hey pray for these projects i'm going to be crazy busy this year even more than i thought i would be and yet i still want to hit these goals i really want to get some good stuff out here uh, that help to apply uh, what we've been doing at lorehaven for more readers like christian fans homeschool families church influencers and uh, even some cultural conservatives who'd like to find wholesome books but maybe need to find the purpose of wholesome books, not just to teach good moral values and resist the bad ideas for your kids, uh, but in order to lead them to Jesus Christ, in order to lead them to the gospel and deeper into the kingdom where we make fantastical stories for God's glory uh, and enjoy them amongst ourselves. Next on Fantastical Truth, nobody claims to like hatred. That's bad. But everybody claims they want to love their neighbor, right? <laughs> That's good. But what does it mean to love your neighbor? Should Christian made stories repeat these messages so that readers know that we Christians are good people, not bad people. And do stories made with this goal actually help our neighbors or might these stories actually hurt our neighbors? Meanwhile, we at Lori even want to love our neighbors. We want to find the best Christian made fantastical stories and explore them, but not just to help our neighbors, But for the glory of God, before we talk about serving one another horizontally, let's talk about worshiping God and giving him glory vertically. Let's get our directions right. First, glorifying God and then serving other people as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.